Well, it's Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, but we're not that far from Easter. Easter was late, and Easter wasn't that long ago, and so I'm thinking Easter is sort of the scenes around Easter are still in our minds. So I want us to think this morning about Peter, and let's go back to what we call Good Friday. Uh, Peter has denied Jesus three times. Uh, Jesus has been crucified. And Peter, come, and we're sort of in the place where the disciples sort of gathered when they were in Jerusalem. And Peter comes walking through the door and sits down. Now some of us, at least the men, other than John, we've all scattered as well. When it came to crunch time, there was only John and a few of the women that were still at the foot of the cross. So Peter's not the only one who's messed up, who's fallen back on his word. Remember, Peter was the one who said at the Lord's Supper, Peter was, Lord, all these other guys, all these other guys will deny you, but I won't. So we're gathered in that room, the place the disciples gathered as a home base in Jerusalem. Some think uh, Mary, the mother of Mark, the author of the second gospel, she had a place that they uh, gathered. And so Peter, we're there, and Peter comes through the door and he sits down. Jesus has died. Some of us scattered and fled the scene. And I don't think it's hard to imagine that some of us know what happened to Peter in the courtyard. What kind of reaction would Peter get from us if he came and sat down? What if he sat beside you? Or what if he came in and you had an angle and, and you saw him? Like, do you start sort of elbowing your neighbor and say, Or do you whisper? Do you, what, kind, what kind of look? What kind of look is on your face when Peter comes in and sits down? You're already traumatized. You're already hurt because of what happened to Jesus. You're already in a bad place. You're already stressed. You're already wondering what in the world happens next. And here comes Peter, and he has the gall, the nerve, to come back and sit with you and sit in your midst after he's denied Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. What would your reaction be? Well, no, what would your neighbor's reaction be? What would the reaction of the person sitting beside, let's not make it too personal yet. What would be the reaction of, of the people around you? So time passes. Sunday morning. We call it Resurrection Sunday. The women come back and they say the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Luke tells us, as we looked at the story in the account in Luke's gospel uh, back on Easter Sunday, 
Peter was there when the women saw it. He comes back to the place, and it says Peter was still wondering. He's still not sure, not wonder of awe, not wonder of amazement, wonder of not sure what's going on. So now it's Sunday morning. The word is, the witness is, the testimony is that Jesus has risen. And Peter's still not sure what's happening here. So he comes back to the place you're residing in. I, did he verbalize it? I, I, I'm reading between the lines, but Peter was a pretty verbal guy in most of the gospel stories. I'm sure he probably verbalized it. What would be your reaction if Peter verbalizes his wonder, almost doubt about what's going on here and why the, the grave was empty and who were these two men the women were talking to? He verbalizes that when the microphone's passed around for sharing time. Like, what's, what's your reaction? What was the reaction of the other disciples? Well, James and John, they were known as the sons of thunder, right? James and John were known as the th sons of thunder. And back in Luke chapter 9, where we were a few weeks ago, uh, James and John do a couple things. First of all, they, uh, a guy is casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they told him to stop it. They put a stop to it. And then Jesus corrected them and said, well, sorry guys, the person who's not against me is for me. You were wrong. And then in just a few verses later, in the end of Luke chapter 9, uh, they want to call down fire and brimstone on a Samaritan village because they wouldn't receive Jesus. Jesus says, no, that's not the way we do it. I wonder what James and John, I wonder how, I wonder if they took Peter into a corner and gave him sort of a talking to. What would it, what was it like? What would it be like if Peter was with us? What was it like with them? Well, then there's not only that scenario, then there's 40 days of waiting till the day of Pentecost, till Jesus said the Spirit's going to come. Stay and wait till the Holy Spirit comes. 40 more days. Now, yeah, Peter is restored and Peter is... Um, He's met Jesus. He believes in the resurrection. Are we that good at sort of leaving the past in the past? And this is just the recent past, right? This is only a couple days before Peter denied Jesus three times. He saw the empty tomb. It didn't register with him. Okay, we've talked about your neighbors, how they might react. How would you react? Would you welcome him? Would you sit with him? Would you eat with him? Because in those days, eating with somebody and sharing a meal together was the most important thing you could do to show connection and family. Would you eat with Peter? Would you come alongside to encourage him? Now let's switch it a minute. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. 
Let's go to Luke chapter 22, page 973 in your... Um, in the Pew Bibles, page 973, Luke chapter 22. Let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes. What was it like? What was it like to be that guy? The guy who denied Jesus. What was it like? Luke chapter 22. We pick it up at verse 59. Luke chapter 22 Verse 59, Peter's denied Jesus twice already. Luke 22, verse 59, page 973. About an hour later, another person in the courtyard said, certainly this fellow was with him for he is a Galilean. Now how would they know that? Probably by his accent. Probably as Peter's chatting in the courtyard, the, the, the Galileans had a, a distinct accent. And Peter replied, verse 60, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. What if we were Peter? What if we were Peter? And what if we had that eye-to-eye Jesus moment? Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now that's, that's not a condemnatory look. In case you think that's the look of condemnation from Jesus, it's not. A couple reasons. One is because that's not how Jesus looked at people. The Pharisees, yes. The Pharisees, yes. The self-righteous people, yes. But if you go to the book of Acts, Peter himself, when him and John see the beggar, they look straight at him and they heal him. Looking straight at someone, and as far as this is concerned, is not a look of condemnation. It's not eyes of judgment. Their eyes met. Jesus looked straight at Peter. You know, it's this. It's this. I tease my grandsons. We pl- we're playing and we're doing this. Not in a bad way. We're just having fun doing this. I never get to do it anywhere else, so I do it with my grandsons. But this is that eye-to-eye with Jesus moment that Peter has. And what's he remember? He remembers the word the Lord had spoken to him. And he went outside and wept bitterly. These weren't even eyes of, I told you so. He just met the eyes of the one he had just denied. Not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about or who you're talking about. Go back in chapter 22 to verse 31. Go back to chapter 20 in 22 to verse 31. Because in between, if we're putting ourselves in Peter's shoes, we need to know what else has happened here and what else Jesus has said to us. 
Chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all. So he's talking to Simon, but he's talking about all of us in the room, all the disciples. That night, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So it's important to know that Jesus made a pro- gave a promise to Peter. I will intercede for you. Dan was just interceding for people in our congregation. Jesus made a promise to Peter. I will intercede for you so that your faith will not wash out, so that your faith will not be so depleted, but there will be a, a reserve of faith. It's not that Peter wasn't going to sin. It's not that Peter wasn't going to deny Jesus. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. See, there is, there is a responsibility on Peter's part. If we're taking the place of Peter, you and I have a responsibility to understand what being faithful is, to understand what, what honoring and worshiping and the worthiness of our Savior Jesus prayed for Simon. He still sinned. It still made a very difficult road for him, but Jesus prayed that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned, this isn't just the the word when you come back. It's the word of repentance. It's the word of, of turning around, and when you realize the wrong that you have done, when you return, come back and strengthen your brothers because they're going to fail too. They're going to wash out too. When you have returned, Jesus says to me, that's, that's the word of repentance. There are two Greek words in the Gospels for repentance. and th- that One is the common word repentance of uh, about face. This is the idea of returning. It's, it's very much an Old Testament word when God, through the prophets, call his people to return to me, return to me. We'll look at that in a few minutes. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So there is hope. There is hope for Peter. But let's put ourselves in Peter's shoes for a moment. This eye-to-eye with Jesus moment. Have you ever had experienced that? Have you ever experienced that eye-to-eye with Jesus moment? Honestly, I wish I had experienced them more. I think it might have helped me through some pretty messy situations. Not pleasant. Peter, we're told, wept bitterly when Jesus' eyes met his eyes. He went outside and wept bitterly. Last week, we looked at another account, a very intense account of a at the feet of Jesus moment. If Peter had his eye to eye with Jesus moment, last week we looked at the sinful woman, the prostitute, who rained tears on Jesus' feet, and she had an at the feet of Jesus moment. As her tears literally poured out on Jesus' feet, she had to do something about it. His feet were so wet with her tears, she had to wipe his feet with her hair. As she bends down to wipe his feet, she begins to kiss his feet. She understands how much Jesus loved her. She understands how much her forgiveness, 
the phrase of the song last week, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. This woman understood as she encountered the one who had forgiven her so much. She has an at the feet of Jesus moment. She loves so much because she had forgiven so much. Have you ever had an at the feet of Jesus moment? I can think of one. I've had one. Just, just absolute, I don't, it's one of those moments where you're in the middle of something. I mean, this woman walked into this room of men having supper. She was known to them as a prostitute. She doesn't care. She, she, it's, all she sees is Jesus, and that's all that matters. And first, she's weeping at his feet because she is so overwhelmed with the forgiveness she's received, the depth of her sin and the greatness of his love, and she just, she just tears pouring out. She bends down to wipe. There's nothing else to wipe his feet with. She wipes it with her hair. While she's down there, she just can't help herself. She's kissing his feet. And in the first century, in that Jewish culture, one of the most disgusting parts of the body is the feet. I was driving when I had my at the feet of Jesus moment. I don't even remember this song I was listening to. I had to pull over and stop. Like I say, I wish I could have more of those, but that's the one that, that I remember. Have you had an at the feet of Jesus moment where just everything around you, it didn't, now I did pull over, I just didn't stop in the middle of, I think it was on Highway 6, uh, coming back from a uh, board meeting at Nippon Bible College, I think, and I did pull over, it wasn't just leave my car in the middle of the street, but just when nothing else mattered and you're just so overwhelmed with God's love and his forgiveness and how deep and how wide and all, all that and at the feet of Jesus moment. Two very powerful accounts Luke gives. First of the sinful woman who has an at the feet of Jesus moment and then Peter who has an eye-to-eye with Jesus moment. Someone has described conversion as to grow increasingly aware of the ugliness of my sin and to arouse in myself that sincere repentance to which the promise of forgiveness is tied, to grow increasingly aware of the ugliness of my sin. And that just doesn't stop at my conversion. That just doesn't stop when I become a follower of Jesus. And, and I think we should understand, if I'm going to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is, the more I understand who Jesus is, the more I understand what I deserve. And I don't deserve him. J.I. Packer, I forget the rest of the quote, says something like, true worship is to see myself as a small, dirty object. Because the more I understand the greatness of God, the worthiness of Jesus, the more I see myself as a small, dirty object. And Luke pulls these terms together. We've looked at them, baptism, repentance, and forgiveness, and they all kind of go together. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 24, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Baptism, repentance, forgiveness, it's a package. And you are witnesses. 
the followers of Jesus, the disciples, are witnesses of these things. Witnesses not just verbally, not just verbally, but visually. Peter and the unnamed woman are living examples, they're living stories, they're living pictures of what it means to have a living relationship with Jesus. Peter and the unnamed woman are living examples of what it means to be transformed in the basic patterns of life. Peter becomes a totally different guy. It's like night and day. The Peter in the Gospel of Luke and the Peter in the book of Acts, Luke's second part of the story, it's a different guy. It is the difference of night and day. This unnamed woman in Luke chapter seven who washes Jesus' feet with her tears, she is a totally different person. Totally different person. Transformed in the basic patterns of life. What they believe, what they think, how they feel, how they behave. Transformed is a word we use a lot in the Christian Missionary Alliance. You'll see it on a lot of the publications. You'll see it on a lot of stuff on the walls that comes from the national office. We use the word transformation a lot. Does it show? Does it show? Am I different? Am I even different than the week before, the last time you met me? Am, am, I, am I more like Jesus this week than I was last week? Well, we're going to have our Peter moments. We're going to have our scattering disciples moments for sure. Am I a different person? An eye-to-eye with Jesus moment makes me a different person. So when Peter comes in the room and you and I are doing our, we're giving him our looks or we're, we're saying, oh, Peter, nice to see you, but then our inside voice is saying, you slimeball. You know, the inner voice, you know, the mental health commercials where they're talking about somebody who's missed work because of depression or whatever, and they say, oh, that's too bad, but in their inner voice, they're calling them a slacker. You've probably seen, you know, you have an inside voice, don't you? Some of you are looking at me like you don't have an inside voice. I, sorry, I have an inside voice. What's your inside voice saying when Peter walks in the room? You see... That's where these songs today, I'm the one that held the nail. Do I see myself as the one who holds the nail as they're pounding the nail into the hands and feet of Jesus? Do I really believe that Jesus took my place, that you would bear my cross? Or do I just think that's a nice phrase to use? What if Peter were one of us? What would that eye-to-eye moment with Jesus be like for me? Last week, the search committee met, um, and we're continuing to work on 
uh, church profile and the pastor profile, the things Adrian talked about last week that was in the bulletin. Nothing, nothing new in terms of new things to talk about, but I want to share with you some things that came up at that meeting. One of the phrases that was used at the search committee meeting was that this, and, and a transition period is, is much like that, and a transition period can be that. The phrase that was used was, this is an opportunity for a fresh start. It's an opportunity for a fresh start. Anytime you're in a transition period, if, if you're moving, if you're relocating, it's a chance for a fresh start. If you're changing jobs, it's a chance for a fresh start. If you're starting a new job, if you're looking for a job, it's a chance for a fresh start. It's a good way to describe and, and it's a good way to approach a transition season, an opportunity for a fresh start. We talked about the history of Estevan Alliance Church. In the history of Estevan Alliance Church, about 60 or so years, there have been 50 and a half years of pastors. 15 pastors in 50 and a bit years. That's 3.7, 3.37 years per pastor. 15 and a half years, 15 pastors, 3.37 years. The longest serving pastor in that street, in that time served for ten and a half years. If we take him out of the equation, the average is 2.8 years per pastor. Now that's, I pointed that out to the search committee because one of the things we talked about at the last search committee meeting was that we'd like a pastor to come who is going to be here for the long term, a pastor that's going to have a long-term commitment. And so as we talked about those numbers this week, not that there was anything wrong with asking for a pastor that's going to come with a long-term commitment. The question was, well, shouldn't the congregation of Estevan Alliance Church have a long-term commitment too? It's a two-way street, right? If we want a pastor that's going to come for a long-term, then we need to be committed to the long-term. See, what, we're going to be handing out the prayer calendar uh, at the end of the service today. And the, in the prayer, we ask for the man of God's choosing to come to Estevan Alliance Church. Do we think that because he's the man of God's choosing that uh, we don't have any part to play in that? It's funny how quickly when a pastor comes to a new church and before he gets there, he is the man of God's choosing. Once he gets there, it doesn't take too long. Well, I don't like this, I don't like that. I didn't know he thought that about that. And all of a sudden, he's not the man of God's. Well, what changed? What changed? He's the same guy you saw, you interviewed, you heard preach. Maybe the question is, what didn't change? Maybe we didn't change. Because if we want the pastor to stay long-term, we need to have a long-term commitment. And in some ways, as I said to the search committee on, on Wednesday night, I said it, it's like a, an arranged marriage for a period of time, long period of time, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until God calls them elsewhere. <laughs> but it's a two-way street. It's a two-way commitment.
these prayer calendars will be available after the service. There's, uh, we just printed off 40 this morning, so there's one per family. We'll have more printed out next week. Didn't want to overrun the presses on this, but there's, there's one per family of these prayer calendars. Um, interesting about them, just so you know, uh, more than 10 people had a part to play in this, so it's not one or two people's prayers. It's uh, uh, probably a dozen people have had a part to play in this. So, you know, if you see a pattern or if you see a trend, there's nothing that was scripted. It's just the way God worked it out. One of the passages, it's an interesting passage that comes up in one of the prayer days, is uh, Jeremiah chapter 3. Turn to page, if you're in the Pew Bible, page 698. Jeremiah chapter 3. It's a great, it's a great verse for a, a search committee prayer calendar. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15. Some of you will recognize it. Some of you will recognize it. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15. Page 698. Jeremiah 3, 15. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding great. It's a great prayer. It's a great thing to look forward to. The key word is the word that starts that sentence, though, then. Then talks about what else is going on before that. And what's going on before that is the need of the children of Israel to repent, to return. In fact, in this Jeremiah 3 and 4, the word turn or return, the same concept that Peter was told by Jesus, when you return, is used 20 times for the people of God to return to God. Talks about the exile, talks about uh, the people being overrun by the Assyrians and the Babylonians unless they return to God. And what's interesting in the chapter is there is sort of token repentance. There's, okay, we'll pray, okay, we'll do what God wants, we'll do it, but their heart's not in it. So I go back to the the idea of a long-term commitment. It's not just the pastor who comes, it's us as a church congregation. If you want a shepherd after God's own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding, there is something we have to do as a congregation. We have to make sure we've returned to God. We have to make sure we're just not going through the motions. We're not just thinking, Showing up on Sunday and putting my money in the offering is all I need to do, and he needs to do and act the way I want him to act. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. (laughs) We talked about, at the search committee, as we worked on the church profile, we talked about stubbornness. Uh, Read Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17, where it talks about a stubborn heart. Stubborn and a willful spirit. No pastor is going to stay long in the face of stubborn and willful spirits. Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. So here we are at the communion table. Have you had an at at the feet of Jesus moment? where you've realized now you start to know how much it cost to see your sin upon that cross. That's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Having at the feet of Jesus moments constantly 
constantly aware of the greatness of my sin and the greatness of his sacrifice. To work towards an attitude of humility and gratitude as a, as a constant, as a baseline, as a framework for all that I am and all that I say and all that I do. What does Paul say to the Philippians? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be held on to, grasped, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. It's interesting, in the Last Supper account in Luke chapter 22, Jesus says to his disciples, we'll read it in a moment, I am among you as one who serves. You want a pastor who's a servant? Be a servant. I think it will extend his stay beyond 3.37 years. But see, this isn't about the pastor that's coming to Estevan Alliance Church. This is about you and me. Paul says, when he talks about the Lord's Supper in Corinthians, he says that each of us are to examine ourselves. Well, we already did that when we played the disciples and Peter coming into the room. You've had a chance to examine yourself. Examine ourselves. See where we need to repent. See where we need to admit our wrong and our sin and our failure. So as the elders come to join me before we serve communion and as the worship team makes their way to the platform, just take these quiet moments to, to examine yourself. Imagine it as an eye-to-eye -eye with Jesus and go with it from there.